Well, good morning. Nice to meet you all. Um, and so, uh, as way of introduction, a couple things. I am actually, fr- even though I live in Greenwood at the moment, um, I am from Hagerstown. So I grew up in Hagerstown. So careful how that responds in the room uh, to Hagerstown. For those older ones who remember, you remember Wellivers, of course. Yeah, yeah. Eric gave the biggest, though, yes, over there. <laughs> So I uh, grew up in Hagerstown. Real quick, I want to introduce my family who's here. So my wife, Diane, is with me, my son, Ethan, um, also my son, Nathan, my daughter, Kira, my daughter, Karis, and my mom, um, who currently lives in Richmond. So she's here with us today. So yeah. So I'm sure in the women's ministry and things, you guys talk about Proverbs 31 and all that. So I've been a very blessed man. Um, I was highly influenced by a Proverbs 31 grandmother. Um, I was raised by a Proverbs 31 mom, and I married a Proverbs 31 wife. Only, only the goodness of God, <laughs> right, allows to be blessed by, uh, blessed by all that, which is great. So, and yes, growing up in Hagerstown, again, for those older ones in Newcastle, I did cruise broad. Yes, I did. Woohoo! Many times, cruising broad. Um, unfortunately, many times, and for those who remember that, Broad Street used to be able to go and, and to, uh, to go and cruise through there. And though many times I found myself in a car with girls that I liked who were trying to find other guys other than me. That's <laughs> typically how that went. And I sat there wishing they were, you know, calling out for me. But yeah, that didn't happen. So anyway... So, and the other thing is, um, when you meet my mom and say hi, so uh, she looks a lot younger than what she is. And so I've also been blessed. I'm a lot younger than what I look. Uh, No, I'm not. I'm older than I look. No, I'm not. I'm younger. Anyway, and so uh, my mom uh, blessed me with that. So I I learned when I was 25 and I looked 15, girls don't want to date you. (laughs) They're like, you're like my little brother. Right? And all that. So that, that didn't go well. So anyway, I had to wait till I started going with that. All right, are we up on this? Can I start pressing away on my little button here? Here we go. Hey, there we go. So today is uh, Lessons from uh, the Wilderness. And it really is a joy to be here as far as uh, in what you're doing for the summer and the sabbatical. Tom actually called me a year ago to ask me to do this. And had some ideas and things, which I'll bring up in a moment to that. And so, to be honest, this first week, I mean, we're really going to fly. So if you're a note taker, uh, be prepared. Or if you just want to sit, Eric has it and he can mail it to you, uh, email it to you as well for that. Um, But we also recognize that our life, which I'll get to in a minute, is about this idea of wilderness and what does it mean to walk in the wilderness with that? So a couple of things real quick as way of introduction, then we're going to pray. So as uh, Eric said, um, I am Soul Gardener. So that's actually the name of my business, Soul Gardener LLC, uh, Christ-centered uh, guidance and direction. And this really came from 15, 20 years ago, working through what is my personal call with God. And so my personal call with God is I will endeavor to love and obey God. I will be a loving 
and supportive husband. I will be a spiritual leader at home and work. I will be a thoughtful, caring shepherd who seeks maturity and reconciliation. I will strive to be physically healthy. I will be a good and faithful friend. I desire to allow Holy Spirit to give me the fruit of self-control and creativity. Now, when I was 23, I couldn't have done that and said those words. But if you and I could go back in a time machine and I could meet myself when I'm 23 and said, does this sound like you? I'd be, oh yeah, that, that's me. That's, that's who I am. So anytime my mom's with me, I always tell the story that uh, she, pre- I'm her firstborn. And so my sister's watching, I'm the firstborn. And so... <laughs> Um, in that is she prayed while she was pregnant with me that I would be a minister someday. And she did not tell me that until the day of my ordination. Isn't that cool? She didn't force it down my throat. She didn't do the whole Jewish thing like, oh, you're going to be a doctor someday. No, she didn't like you're going to be. No, that was never part of that. And so it's really the Lord um, working and answering my mom's prayer for that. So this is actually where my day job is. And so this is New Life Counseling in Whiteland, Indiana, just south between uh, Greenwood and Franklin. And so as Eric said, I'm the director there. We have three others um, who work with me doing uh, counseling for that. All right, let's pray. We thank you, O Lord. Father God, you are a holy God. And we thank you for reminding us. Uh, We needed that booster this morning to remind us that you are above all things. And we just praise you for that. We thank you that you are good, that you are beautiful, and that you are true. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would look into our eyes this morning, that you would love us well, but that also if there is any way of conviction or encouragement in certain way of life, that you would give that to us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to receive, even me to be able to receive from the Father what he has for us today. And so I know, Holy Spirit, that is a gift that you give to us, that you're able to open our heart and our mind and allow the Father to pour into us. So Holy Spirit, help us with that and teach us um, today and give us wisdom. Thank you for these wonderful people here. And Lord, I ask a blessing upon them that you would encourage them. And may we uh, walk this journey together. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So again, if you are a note taker, get ready. We're going to be flying, okay? But again, if Eric can send it to you as well. And also, uh, there will be a time for questions at the end, all right? So I'm going to try and go fast. If you have questions about things, uh, you'll be able to ask some questions. I'll do my best uh, to try to answer them. So during the worship time, Jeff came over to me. And he says, I had a word for you. And he says, the foundation is already laid, but the Lord is wanting to water and to give to that. And I was like, it was almost exactly what Tom said a year ago um, about that. And so, oh, by the way, congratulations, 25 years as a body of Christ. That's pretty awesome, right? Uh, And to have two pastors stay the whole time. Trust me, that, that does not happen. I mean, it is a miracle, yeah. Well, Shelly's helping and so, <laughs> along the way. Uh, I, and, and literally, as, they, as Shelly said earlier, I work a lot with pastors and people. And, and typically, a pastor stays at a church three years. 
It's right around three years that they stay and then they move on uh, to somewhere else. And so to have two be here for 25 years absolutely is a miracle of God um, and, and speaks to their loyalty and their love for the people and for the community and all that as well. One of the other things that Tom told me a year ago, which has really stuck in me, he says, I'd like for you to come because I feel as if Eric and I have written the first two verses of a song. Could you come and help us write the third verse? Isn't that good? Well, hey, it sounds like Tom, right? And so, <laughs> but to write that. And then again, the watering piece as a soul gardener, it's all about gardening who we are, right? And allowing Jesus uh, to give us living water. And so I just want to add to what you have already been listening to and reading, which we'll get to in a moment, um, as a part of that journey uh, for you as well. Okay, um, first of all, I do need a little, a little groundwork in who we are um, as a group of people. So this is really important for me to kind of put us all on the, have the same language and ideas. Okay, now usually this map should be turned the other way, sorry, but I could never get it to turn right. Okay, so to the right, you'll notice Jerusalem, okay? So uh, we have Jerusalem, which usually be looking at a map would be here, and then you travel north, and then we have Antioch, okay? Now, in Acts chapter 11, it is important to know that the Jews, right, were the first ones to come to know who Jesus is for a number of decades, and then God began um, we're told in Acts 1.8 to move beyond Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth. And part of that was up to Antioch. Now, Antioch already had a Jewish group of people. And then those who believed in Christ came up there and began to evangelize the people in Antioch. And in Acts chapter 11, it says the disciples, those who followed God, were called Christians. Now, there are two other times that Christians are used in the whole New Testament, which you wouldn't think that, right? If you just ask, like, think, how many times is the word Christian in the Bible? You're thinking, oh, I don't know, 40, 50 times, right? Only three. The next one, I believe, is before King Agrippa and Paul. And Paul says, uh, or Agrippa says to Paul, he goes, hey, do you think you can so quickly convert me to become a... Christian. And the other one is in 1 Peter, where Peter says, if you are persecuted as a Christian. Now, what's interesting about the energy, the direction of all three of those are from the outside in. Actually, the word Christian was a nickname, a political name, actually, given to those who followed after this guy named Christ, right? So now the next question is, well, what did they call themselves, right? They called themselves disciples, right? A disciple named Dorcas, a disciple named Timothy, right? It was disciple. 44 times in the book of Acts alone, those who follow Jesus are called disciple. Now, I'll tell you what. So what is the definition? This is from, oh, I love this guy, Luder, Luder Whitlock, right? So Luder writes, disciple actually means student. Disciples, therefore, are students whose responsibility is to learn what God wants them to believe and how he wants them to live to that they may obey and honor him. Jesus called disciples. That you would come and be my disciple. Now, in our world, you may want to think of the word apprentice. 
that we are an apprentice of Jesus Christ, stolen from Dallas Willard's words for that. But what it means is, versus a nickname, the idea of disciple is, I am to learn the ways of Jesus. Not just to hear them, but to bring them in and to live in the way that Jesus lived. And so we are called to be a disciple of Jesus and to disciple other people as well. And that is who we are called to be. So uh, our family, we homeschooled uh, for about 13 years, and we were called the Ezra Institute, all right? Some of the graduates are right over there, the graduates from Ezra Institute. And this was our verse. For Ezra, they could probably get up and quote this. I'm going to have to put it up. For Ezra had devoted themselves to the study and the observance of the law of God and to teaching its decrees and the laws of Israel. Four key ideas. Ezra devoted himself to the study and to the observance of the law of God and teaching its decrees. Right there, one verse, discipleship, spelled out for you. Devoted to Jesus. Devoted to him. And then to study the life of Jesus and to study God. And then to observe, live it out. Right? We are to live out who Jesus has called us to be. And then what are we called to do? Teach it to other people. Hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, if the church has failed in one area, guess where we failed? We don't observe well, and do we, we do not teach well. Right? Now, part of it's not your fault. It's been part of the churches, an American church. We won't go into church history at the moment. But since about the uh, 1880s, the church began to fail at this idea of discipleship. So that's why I always try to mention it, to remind us of who we are in Jesus, who he has called us to be. All right, so let's switch gears for a moment. So let's connect to the big story of God first. So the big story of God is creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Creation, by the way, real quick, I'm not like the big clappy for people. Can we give a hand to the worship team right now? Can we do that? Wonderful, wonderful job leaving worship and loved Thumper back here doing a great job. Um, so uh, that was, I love watching other people worship God, like worship leaders, right? To see the young ladies over here, got great voices, not focusing on us, just focusing on Jesus, right? It's the way it should be. So I so commend you all for that. So creation is a huge theology within the church of God, that God, as they mentioned, has created all things, creator, big C, in all of that, right? But then we know about the fall. Now, the fall does not, depending on what denominations you've grown up with or been part of, is we think about the fall as only about sin, but that really falls short. <laughs> Get that? It really falls short of that because it's really about the whole created world has fallen, right? All the thunderstorms that went northern Indiana, right? Volcanoes, earthquakes, tornadoes are all a part of the fall of man. And everything that you and I have to deal with, something called COVID. And so um, all these things that affect us are a part of the fall. And then there is redemption. And this is the reconciliation, the restoration of Jesus' life in us to literally change who we are. And that is what he wants. 
He wants us to be redeemed and restored in him. And then renewal is what he's going to do, right? So renewal is the new heaven and the new earth coming together. And what all that's going to look like, right? We just have a lot of guesses right now. But it's about the final renewal that God is going to do in each of us. So that is the meta idea of all of Scripture, okay? Now today, we're actually going to focus a little bit on the fall, okay? We're going to take a little bit, and then next week, we're going to talk more about what does restoration, redemption, reconciliation actually look like. See, I got my plug in for next week. There you go. All right, so wilderness. First of all, we have to realize that wilderness as a disciple of Christ is normal, Okay? It is not the exception. And so we have to remember that wilderness is important. So, case in point. So, from Genesis to Revelation, we have a story of wilderness. We have Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, sent into the wilderness. We meet Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And Abram is asked by God to leave his family, his people, and his place. And to go on this really, really long journey through a wilderness to bring him to the promised land and say, this is the land I'm going to give to you. And God continues to bring Abram through that wilderness, okay? Joseph, taken out into wilderness, literally sold as a slave, has to go to Egypt all by himself. No one is like him, right? And God blesses him in the midst of that. Moses has to do the wilderness journey not once, twice. First time he gets kicked out and he goes out and learns what it means for 40 years, what it means to be a shepherd. And then he comes back and God calls him again. He says, you're going to be in the wilderness again. And we're going to lead the children of Israel out into the wilderness. And remember what happens? So they don't trust in God. They don't really believe enough in God. And so God sends them into the wilderness for 40 years. Okay. Then uh, we can think of Elijah being forced to run away and to go in the wilderness. When we meet John the Baptist, other than when he's in the womb of Elizabeth, when we meet him, where is he? He is out in the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness. He's wearing camel hair, eating honey and grasshoppers. Yeah, we went to Edinburgh Mall yesterday for school shopping. No one asked for camel hair, okay? <laughs> Did not happen. My girls were not asking for camel hair, okay? And so in that, John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. And then Jesus, when he starts his ministry, what happens? He gets baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. We'll come back to that. Later, Paul... When he is brought to Jesus, will spend 14 years in the wilderness learning the ways of Jesus before he sets off to become the apostle to the Gentiles. And the Bible ends with a man named John sitting on an island in Patmos in exile in the wilderness. Genesis to Revelation. And of course, we could do more, but I think you get the point. Wilderness is a part of our life. And everyone in this room, every one of you, has suffered in many different ways. Sometimes it's a short wilderness, sometimes it's a long wilderness, correct? That we've had to go through. Now, there are two different types of wilderness experiences. Number one is this. Number one is, there are those who led into the wilderness of suffering because of sin. 
Something in your life that you have done or been affected with by somehow, maybe you didn't trust God enough, and I'm sure some of you had testimonies of when you were away from God, your wilderness experience, and then were drawn back to Him, and you're able to confess that. The second type of wilderness is the kind you're led into, right? Did Jesus have sin? Nope. And yet he was led into the wilderness. But what we're going to get to next week is what is the lesson at the end of the wilderness, which is always dependency. Always dependency. And we'll talk about that next week. But in talking about when Jesus is sent out to the wilderness, what are the things that he has taught and where do they come from? It's a really interesting story. Now, it is also the story of mankind. And the reality is it is you and I's story. And the person sitting next to you story. And the person sitting next to you story. We are surrounded by people who are in different phases of time, either who are in a wilderness, maybe at the beginning or the end, or maybe you're outside of wilderness at this time. But it is part of human nature that we would go through a wilderness experience. Now, I'm going to go back. David Kirkpatrick, correct? Yes. Hello, David. How are you? I'm Mark. So... Really great, the word that you gave, thank you. And I leaned over and told Eric after you gave it, I had just prayed that about the mind and the heart right before you came up and said that. So the Lord was agreeance in that, right? So we're going to show what David and I were talking about and what Eric just talked about. Who are we as a person? And the reason why I'm talking about this, because a wilderness experience is not just about being out in the middle of the desert with no food. This affects the whole person. So we have our physical body, right, of who we are, eating, sleeping, work, an enjoyment of life, right, and all those things. Um, and then we have the mind. Our mind includes thoughts, logic, memory, processes. All is a part of what our mind is, right? And so for us older ones, you ever tried to think of something? Like someone says, hey, who's that guy on the radio? Like you're in the store and you hear that song. And like, who is that? Oh, I can't remember. And then like about four hours later, you're like, oh, that was Genesis or whoever. See, I threw a Bible name of a group in. Anyway, so that was Genesis in there. And we're like, oh, yeah, that was Genesis. That was Phil Collins and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, why couldn't I think of that four hours ago, right? Because your mind subconscious was still working on it, right? As I get older, it takes longer to get there. So I'd like to say there's so much in there. It's hard to find it. But, yeah, my wife will tell you that's not true. Okay, then we have the heart. And then we have our passions, loves, desires, and feelings, right? So my family, we love the Olympics. And so you think about those swimmers, right? So those people have a passion for swimming the Olympics. They get up at 4.30 in the morning to go and to go swim, right? Now, I am sure there are mornings. They don't feel like getting up and swimming. But guess what? They do it. Why? Because of their passion. Right? Makes sense? Right? But now we can have a great passion. Doesn't mean we always feel like it. And then we have our will or our choice. Right? And so my, uh, we have this will and a part of us that desires certain things. And then we make a choice in order to follow through with that. So for those who know who Oprah Winfrey is, right? Oprah Winfrey? Everybody remember Oprah? Okay. So would you say that Oprah Winfrey has a strong will? 
right? She's worth billions of dollars. She's created this communications empire. Tell me, uh, what's up with Oprah Winfrey's weight? Anybody? Heavy or? It's up and down, up and down. I remember the show where she came out pulling a red wagon with 200 pounds of simulated fat. And she said, that used to be on me. And it was like, like it was crazy. She looked great, right? And all that. And you're like, oh my gosh. So how does someone make billions of dollars, have a strong will and do all that, and yet can't control their weight? Isn't that weird? It's because the will is fickle, right? We, we will to do that. We all practice that January 1st. I'm going to lose weight this year, or I'm going to spend more time in the Bible, or I'm going to learn how to play piano or the oboe. I don't know. And then you're like, hey, we can do it. Or I could drum like this guy and learn how to do that. But this all makes up who our soul is. And for you and I, because we believe in a God who loves us and who placed his Holy Spirit inside of us, we know that, that spirit is inside of us. Now, down below, we also believe that there's this evil guy who likes to meet us in wilderness places. I don't know, like Jesus, and who wants to thwart everything that God wants to do. And let's be honest. Sometimes we listen to his voice versus God's voice, right? I spent a lot of time working with a lot of people who have listened to his voice for way too long, usually in a way of deception. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is who we are as a person. Now, the wilderness experience will affect you both physically, mentally, emotionally, and your will, and you will go through spiritual warfare when going through the wilderness, right? And all of you, most of you can look back and go, yep, I have experienced that. Now, I think your this is the memory verse you all have, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? I appeal you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that testing that may discern what is the will of God will choice what is good and acceptable and perfect right so what is good and the verses I usually is good and pleasing those are heart words so Romans 12 1 and 2 are transformative in that it shows us that God wants to transform not just my physical body and who I am. He wants to transform my mind, my heart, and my will altogether. And that's what it means to be a part of having um, a life that is fully committed and being a disciple of Christ. Okay, so let's talk about how did we find sometimes, if we're not sent, we found, how do we find ourselves inside of the wilderness? Okay, this is actually from Judges chapter 2. Love teaching judges, though I don't know how many guys in the room. I, I cannot read the story of Samson without crying. It is one of the most humiliating stories you'll ever just read it slow. It is horrible, horrible to read. But the book of Judges has eight major cycles of, of turning away from God. All right. So at the top, Judges 2 says, which is probably written by Samuel, 
that there is peace, that we have this peace. But then we have these triggers that happen, right? Any number of things. It can be envy. It can be jealousy. It can be pride. It can be any number of things that are our triggers that lead us away from God. And so Judges says in chapter 2, he goes, you're going to be tempted by the ways of Canaan. You're going to be tempted by their wealth. You're going to be tempted by their idols. You're going to be tempted by their women. And then guess what's going to happen? You are going to give in. You will give in to the ways of the Canaanites around you. And then what's going to happen is you will be filled with shame and guilt. It says, God will lift his hand of protection off of you. And when that happens to the people of Israel, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Philistines, all these people come in, kick their butts all over the place, destroy their fields, steal their daughters, make them servants to them. Okay? And they cry out to God and they cry out to God. And they realize they have done wrong and then they have grief and they lament what they have done. And then God hears their grief and lament, and then God raises up a redeemer. By the way, the book of Judges isn't, God didn't name the book of Judges, someone else did. It's, it, it's not really good. You and I think of like, I don't know, Judge Judy or somebody up there in a black robe with a gavel, right? That's not what these people did. These all were military campaigns. But the idea was to redeem the people from their enemies so that they would live at peace. So Othniel, Gideon, Deborah, Samson, Ehud, one of my favorites, even though I'm not left-handed. Anyway, and so, do you guys know that story? Ehud. Right? He takes and he goes down and bows before the king, Eglon, and he has, a, he has a sword, small dagger, and he picks it up. And Eglon was like really, really heavy. And so he went and he took his sword, put it right into him, and he was so heavy that it consumed the whole sword. <laughs> Read it, Judges. Great story. Okay. Anyway. And then what happened? The judge comes. So when that happens, Ehud then is um, the left-handed uh, redeemer, and he comes in, and the land is at peace. For as long as that redeemer lives, it could be 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. And then guess what happens? They die. They start getting tempted again. They fall in again. God takes his hand off of them again. They go through shame and guilt again. They cry out to God. And again, we run it all over again. Now, for you and I, does anyone see themselves up here? It is a human condition. We could be talking to a church in uh, South Korea, and they'd all raise their hands. Why? Because this is a part of our human condition. This is a part of who we are. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about how to get off this cycle next week. All right? We're going to move through that. Okay. Now, how else do we get there? What are the triggers? And one of the things we find ourselves in um, as far as that. So I'm going to go through this really quick. Um, I'm not going to give a lot for this, but you can write down and whatever, and we're going to come back around to this. The first one is wounds. And this has uh, come up with my friend Marcus. By the way, a great uh, a ministry uh, to look at. It's called Deeper Walk International. He's based out of Carmel. And a lot of this comes from him. So wounds are intentional wounds, like something I have done or something have done something to me in order to hurt me. Or 
Someone has done something by accident, right? So guys, how many times you turn to your wife and goes, honey, I didn't mean it. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yes, you did. No, I didn't. I promise. I did not mean to do that, right? I did it by accident. And then the third one is absence. Now, absence is something that I'm supposed to be given, but that I'm not given. So in Leviticus... By the way, Leviticus is that book you read in the Bible, and then you start reading the Bible, and somewhere around the end of February, when you read the Bible through the year, you get to Leviticus, and then you're like, this is too hard, and you make two decisions. You either jump to Matthew, or you stop reading altogether, because it's all these legal laws. Now, I'm weird. I love Leviticus, okay? And I taught Leviticus to freshmen in, in a Christian school. So try that. Yeah, you got to be on all the time for that. But I love Leviticus. But let me tell you about a little bit about Leviticus. There are these different sacrifices that are given. And some of them are because I have done something wrong, so I go and make a sacrifice to the Lord. Other ones I'm given because the accident part. I didn't mean to hurt the person. And Deuteronomy tells the story of a guy who goes out in the woods with an axe, and the axe head flies off and kills somebody. Didn't mean to do it. But then there is the sin of absence. And so you had to give a mandatory sacrifice more than once a year to cover the sins that you didn't even know that you had sent. So Jesus on the cross, who is the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. Jesus died not only for the sins that you and I knew about, he died even for the accident, and he put an exclamation point on the absence because one of his seven sayings from the cross is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's Jesus covering absence. Aren't you thankful? Brothers and sisters, you will die with unconfessed sin, period. And it doesn't mean you don't get in. <laughs> Jesus covered it. Aren't you thankful? I am so thankful, okay? Lies. The world tells us lies all the time. Money, fame, riches, right? Some group family called the Kardashians have made a whole living over this, of <laughs> saying this is how life is supposed to be, and they're a mess. Oh, my gosh. They need to call Soul Gardener. And so <laughs> we can do some work. You know, on the side of that, they've actually had Bible studies and stuff in their house. They've had youth pastors come in and do stuff in their house. And so I don't know. I don't know. We'll just pray. Okay. Then there's identity, right? We are lied to about who we are in this world. Now, Satan likes to do that because he likes to get in. Why? Because God keeps telling us, oh, you're a son. You're a daughter. Oh, look, you're precious to me. Oh, look, you're this wonderful person. You are light in the darkness. You're salt. You're all these great things. What does Satan want to do? You're a jerk. You're horrible. You can't do anything, right? Who do you think you are? Was that just me only that ever heard that from Satan, right? No, that's how he goes. And then self. Somewhere along the line as you grow up, you start telling yourself things in order to cope with things, and you believe them about yourself. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people, and all of a sudden the tears come down, and you're saying, you mean this isn't true about me? No, it's not true about you. Not at all. Right? 
Vows. We're going to do this really quick. So vows are statements, agreements that we make with other people or that we can make to ourselves. For instance, I have a woman who was Wicca, which is a white witch. And so she at some point stood in the middle of a grove of trees with other women dressed in white, and she made a vow to Mother Earth that she would love Mother Earth and use the power of Mother Earth in order to change the world for good. Later, she came to know Jesus, praise God. So she came to know who Jesus was, and, but she never broke the vow to Wicca. So we had to go through a process of breaking that vow that she had made to Wicca. And then we make vows to ourself. I will never do this. I will always do that, right? And then we stick to that vow. And we, we think we've like signed this agreement with somebody and we live by that over and over again. Generally, those are not healthy. And then finally, strongholds. So you are not in a vacuum. You were created and put into a family, which had a family before you, which had a family before you, which had a family before you. And all that affects you, right? I'm diabetic, been diabetic for a number of years. And, be, you know, and so on both sides of my family, I have people who are diabetic. So somehow I got all that mix. And so now I have to check my blood sugar all the time and watch what I eat all the time. I've been a runner my whole life. And so it's like, but I, I didn't bring that on myself, right? I did not do that to my, but that's who I am. So there can be anger strongholds, right? All different sexual abuse strongholds. Idols, all kinds of strongholds and things. And then, of course, there are spiritual strongholds. So, again, there is one who is against you and I, who wants to do everything he can to hurt you and to get you to think and do other things. And in some families, and even if things spiritually, can be into a family over and over again, or something you've brought into your own life, and it's got its grip on you. Right? So I work with a lot of guys addicted to pornography. And if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, anybody here Lord of the Rings fan? The greatest movie ever made. Okay, uh, so the Lord of the Rings fan next to Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. But that's another story. <laughs> so if you know the story of Lord of the Rings, there is a one ring that rules them all. And there's a little ugly creature named Gollum. And Gollum, for three movies, is chasing after this ring. And he calls it... My precious. And he will give his life. He has destroyed his life for precious. So I had a young man sitting one night. He goes with pornography and his desire for those things. He says, I'm like Gollum. And he goes, it has become my precious. And I said, it's time to let it go. And he goes, I don't want to. That's a stronghold. Right? So the question with the stronghold is who's in control? So for, for Frodo, it ends up being Frodo at the end too because Frodo don't want to give it up either. So Frodo and Gollum get controlled by the one, by the ring, right? And so I can't tell how many people I meet with and I'm like, is it controlling you or are you controlling it? Guess what the answer is? It's controlling me. Elizabeth Canham in her book about the desert says, In the desert, the place of holy encounter, we hear God's call. The Hebrew and Christian scriptures make it clear that spiritual formation often takes place in the desert. 
where stark emptiness strips us of pretense and silence wraps itself around us. In the desert, we find motivations revealed. We relinquish baggage. We receive fresh vision. That is what a wilderness is all about. The psalmist in Psalm 63 echoes this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, and my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. So we'll unpack that a little bit more next week, because it helps us with the answer. But you and I, all of us, have been in verse 1. Right? In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Now next week we're going to talk about where David wrote such words. Uh Uh-oh. Am I still up there? There we go. Okay. One more big thing before we move on is this. Here's the other thing that happens when we go into a wilderness. And this is what I want you to pray about this week. So Tim Keller wrote a great book. It's called Counterfeit Gods. Highly, highly recommend it. It is very appropriate in our day and age. But he sums up the idols that we have in today's culture. Now, there's many that he gives, but these are the four big ones. Power, control, appearance or approval, and comfort. So take a second. Think about that. Actually, I want you to spend the week thinking about this. In your own private time with God, Lord, are one of these my idols? Do I desire power? Do I desire desire control? Do I desire approval or my appearance? Or I desire comfort? What is it that drives me? What is it that I bow my knees to other than Jesus? Now, things to consider as we come together. So, things to consider. Number one is we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Every one of us, if we have bowed our knee to to God, we follow after Jesus. We are to be adherents to Him. Number two is we all have experienced a wilderness experience. Perhaps even now you are in a wilderness experience. We want to be able to identify what are the wounds that have led us here or that keep us here and what idols are there that control us. Recognize that cycle of shame from judges. Where do you find yourself? And if you're like me, when I share that with people over and over again, I mean, they look at them right and they go, I've done that like 20 times this week, <laughs> over and over again. And that we're going to talk next week about the difference between shame and guilt. Okay, because there's a huge difference between the two. Meditate, Psalm 63, 1 through 4, and continue on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, the book you're reading, Silence and Solitude, Ruth Haley Barton, 
Excellent, excellent choice. She is a top shelf person. So uh, she is someone who's, whose thoughts and her words and her life um, mimic and uh, walk through the ways of what it means to follow after Christ. She is an amazing person. And so you can also find her on YouTube or her podcast about leadership and those things. And so those are really helpful. And actually, next week, we're going to build on that. We're going to build on her silence and solitude with a few other S's along the way next week to talk about how to either find our way out of the wilderness, perhaps never to get back into a wilderness again, at least not for very long, but really what it means to build dependency on Christ. And so that's what we're going to focus on next week for that. Okay, as promised, any questions? Anyone that has? Yeah, anybody? Nope? All right. Save them up for next week then if you like. We'll do the same thing. Unless I'm missing a hand, I don't think so. All right. Can I pray us out or are you doing something? Do that? That'll work? We thank you, Father. Psalm 23. Your word tells us, Father, that you walk with us even in the shadow of the valley of death. And you walk with us. You never, ever abandon us. And even on the cross, so that you would never forsake us. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for walking with us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. Take these words and ideas and allow them to haunt us this week. Allow us to keep coming back and inquiring of you, O oh Lord, of who you are and who you would like us to be. Forgive us for the times that we have become entangled by things that have now controlled us. And so help us, through your grace and mercy, to lead us out to where we can know your peace and full dependency and attachment to you. Bless each one who is here today, O oh Lord. Go before them, bless them, encourage them by your grace. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.